Good morning, separated friends, family and visitors. You're welcome today. I hope you've had a great week. Mine's been a bit, a bit strange, a bit weird. For all of us, COVID quarantining had us in a strange sense of not quite knowing what month it was, what week it was. But with things opening up now, I think that's mostly past for people. This week though, Monday's public holiday threw me into total disorientation. I was convinced all Tuesday morning that it was in fact Wednesday. I went to my midday Wednesday physio appointment only to discover I was 24 hours early. Thankfully, that appointment was still via Zoom, so I had only gone to my living room. Not only was I convinced it was Wednesday, I was convinced it was Wednesday the 17th of June. I'd gotten eight days out of sync with the calendar. And so when I was preparing this welcome, I looked up a whole bunch of on this day facts, all prepared for the 20th of June. And they're too good not to share, so I'm just gonna do them anyway. Although it's not the 20th, just make sure you don't get confused like I was. On June 20 in 1840, Samuel Morse received the patent for the Morse code, the great, great, great grandfather of texting. On this same date in 1877, Alexander Graham Bell installed the first commercial telephone link in, uh, telephone service, sorry, in Canada. Although I've never been quite brave enough to do it myself, I do love his preferred greeting for the telephone, which was not hello, but ahoy hoy. Much, much more recently, on June 20th, 1963, following the Cuban Missile Crisis, the United States and the Soviet Union signed the agreement to establish the so-called red phone link between Moscow and Washington. So, on this not today, it is an anniversary of a whole bunch of important milestones in communication. And every week as we watch the live stream together, separated but together, I love seeing the comments coming through, people greeting each other, checking in with one another as the service goes through. Service goes through. So in honour of this upcoming anniversary, why don't you grab your keyboard, jump in below and say hi to one another. Thank you for inviting me into your home. It's a real pleasure to see you all and I look forward, so look forward to catching up soon. Dr Ed Young tells a compelling story of a British journalist and renowned Christian apologist, Malcolm Muggeridge. Let me tell you a bit about Malcolm Muggeridge. In his 20s, Muggeridge was attracted to communism and in the 1930s, he went to Russia, the Soviet Union, with the idea of staying there. But after living there for a year, he became one of the country's harshest critics. He realised that communism served no purpose for personal growth or happiness. During World War II, Muggeridge worked for the British government as a soldier and spy, first in East Africa, then in Paris. After the war, under the influence of a hugely influential London journalist by the name of Hugh Kingsmill, Muggeridge converted to Christianity. He then spent many years bringing the work of Mother Teresa to the fore. He loved her work with the poor, the oppressed and needy. And since Muggeridge was a highly respected journalist, he began to write extensively about his Christian journey. And he liked to describe himself as a Christian freak or a Jesus freak. His book, 
Jesus Reconciled was published in 1969 and his other books included Something Beautiful for God, the story of Mother Teresa, Jesus, the Man Who Loves, Christ and the Media, and A Third Testament. As a committed Christian, Malcolm Muggeridge claimed he'd always been faithful to his wife throughout his marriage. But Muggeridge had it in the back of his mind that he wanted to have an affair one day, just to see what it was like. And while he was working as a journalist and lecturer in India, he left his residence one afternoon to go for a swim in the Ganges River. It had been extremely hot and a humid day. The Ganges River is a sacred body of water for Hindus. It begins high in the Himalayas and uh, spreads itself throughout India. The river is used by more than 400 million people. Back to Malcolm. As he entered the water and swam and splashed for a while, he noticed someone out the side of his eye. An Indian woman was swimming and bathing across the river. He surmised in his mind that the woman was from a nearby village who had come to have a bath. Immediately he thought to himself, I think I can have this woman and my wife will never know. He then decided to swim upstream towards the woman. Dr. Young describes Muggeridge that Muggeridge was struggling not against the water, but against the courage of his own conscience. The Holy Spirit was speaking to him. <clears throat> he absolutely knew the difference between right and what was terribly wrong before the eyes of God. He had lived between this kind of struggle, he had lived with this kind of struggle for many years, but had somehow fought it off in honour of his wife Kitty. He also knew in his heart of hearts that it was something God would never approve of, having a relationship with someone outside of marriage. On this occasion, however, he wondered if he could cross the line of marital fidelity without anyone knowing. Just for a moment he struggled, then decided to swim furiously towards the woman, literally trying to outdistance his conscience, God speaking to him through the Holy Spirit. As he swam, his mind fed him the fantasy that everything would be wonderful and sweet, and he swam the harder for it. Now he was just metres away from her, and as he emerged from the water, any emotion that he had for her gripped him, and it paled into significance when compared with the devastation that shattered him as he looked at her. The woman was a leper, and as he looked at her, he noticed that her nose was eaten away. He could just see her eyes surrounded by rotten flesh. There were sores and white blotches all over her arm and neck, and the ends of her fingers were gone. Immediately, this thought rushed through his mind. She looks more like an animal than a human. And he quickly said to himself, what a wretched woman this is. But at the same moment, he was overwhelmed with a devastating truth. What a wretched man I am. He realised his sin, his rebellion, his unfaithfulness, 
but also his wicked heart. This moment in time was allowed by God, for Mugridge was to be reminded where his heart was. So how is your heart doing today? Is it passionate about the things of God? Dr Young, as he tells the story, surmises that Muggeridge, though he didn't say so in his autobiography, must have come face to face with something profound. Physical leprosy is crippling and terminal, but spiritual leprosy can just be as deadly. Muggeridge's real-life experience illustrates an undeniable truth. When we walk away from God... We walk right into disease, the disease of sin. Have you ever found yourself doing so? Maybe doing something you thought you'd never do? Have you ever found yourself swimming against the tide of your conscience? Have you ever walked straight into sin with the Holy Spirit saying in the background, Stop! Don't do it! The consequences will be harsh. This morning I want to remind you of an irreplaceable truth. You are invaluable to God. You mean the world to God's kingdom. You mean the world to God's church. You mean the world to your own family and your community. And I want to remind you that God has big plans for you. Plans for you to serve him and honour him with your life. Spiritual Leprosy is deadly. Stephen Nadal, the committed Christian and university lecturer, says this, The distinctive feature of spiritual leprosy, like its physical counterpart, is a progressive loss of feeling. It is a progressive loss of feeling that takes place not in our nerves, but also in our sensitivity to the Holy Spirit and to its promptings. This progressive loss of contact with the Holy Spirit makes spiritual leprosy as threatening to our souls as the physical disease is to our bodies. And the only cure for this is God living his way with his love, his goodness and with his grace. John Piper, Christian leader and author, says this, God God is always doing 10,000 things in your life you may only be aware of three of them. God is good. God is infinitely far above our ability to understand him. You know, recently I've been studying the names of God and I'd like to encourage you to join me uh, in July doing a 30-day week of prayer in looking at the names of God. I invite you to do so um, in July. I've got to prepare for it, so I need some weeks to write and and work on a booklet. And I'm wanting to call it 30 Days of Prayer, Learning the Names of God. We can use this guide for 30 days to enrich our time set apart with God by taking one description of him and meditating on that for one day along with an accompanying passage. If we can afford it, Maybe we can publish a little booklet that we can send to everyone. If you have the means, you'd like to contact me or our treasurer, Richard Hurrell, and you're willing to make an office, an office, please do so. Church, I'm excited because there's much 
to learn about God and <clears throat> who he is. And he wants to remind us that we're invaluable to him. Let me share with you some of God's names and attributes. So God is Jehovah M. Kadesh. And this means the God who sanctifies. God sets apart a chosen people who are invaluable to him. A people holy to God, invaluable to him. That's you and me. <clears throat> a royal priesthood, invaluable to him. That's you and me. And I love what Leviticus says, and I'm going to share that soon. But we are to live fully for God, set apart and completely devoted to him. It's God who makes us holy. And in Leviticus 27 and 8 it says, Consecrate yourselves to be holy, because I, the Lord, am your God. Keep my decrees and follow them. I am the Lord who makes you holy. <clears throat> God is Jehovah Shalom. The name means the God of peace. Isn't that relevant today? God is so relevant today and we need peace more in our lives than ever before. There is so much hatred on social media, on Facebook. There is despair and loss and anger in the world today. But let me tell you, I've never seen so much hatred in Facebook before and I hope that you don't get sucked into that hatred. As followers of Jesus, we're meant to know the fullness of God and understand his peace or his shalom. We're meant to be a people of peace. Are we? Are you a person of peace in the things that you say and write? 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says this, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The next name that I want to share with you is God is good. God is the embodiment of perfect goodness. He is kind and caring and full of favour toward all of his creation. And I invite you to meditate with me for a few minutes as we run through the goodness of God. You know, God is morally excellent extraordinarily beautiful, deeply joyful, extravagantly generous and exceptionally patient with you and me. But since this, this is God we're talking about, the goodness ascribed to him is far greater than we could ever imagine. Think about it. God is the original definition of good. He is good in and of himself. For you and me, goodness can be an added quality in our lives, but it comes naturally to God. God is not just good, he is the greatest. And in Mark 10, 8, 10, 18, Jesus says, no one is good but one, God. We call all kinds of things good. The meal we had for lunch was good. He's a good friend. That was a good movie. Oh, the Castle Hill Church broadcast was good. We can all call that good, but everything good on earth is tainted with the imperfect. How do you see the true character of a person? By their actions. So as we look at a definition of God's goodness, 
it's important to look at what he does for us. And the Bible is replete with descriptions that point to his kindness, his mercy, his steadfast love and his generosity. God is disposed to giving you and I much more than we ever deserve. Have you ever thought of good as being generous towards you? Can you believe that when God looks at you with all your baggage, all your junk, all your hang-ups, he says, I want to be generous to you. I can't wait to pour out on you that which will make you happy. Not because you deserve it, but because there's something about you and it's who I am that overflows into extravagant ways to love you and serve you. The Bible says those are actually God's thoughts to you. God is for you. He has your back. He is there plotting to do good for you. You are the object of God's affection because of his divine nature. All that he expresses comes from an expansive, overwhelming, God-sized generosity towards you. The goodness of God is a life-transforming truth. And throughout my journey of discovering who God really is, I've learned one thing. He, God, is unmistakably good. And through, as a husband, a father, a pastor, I've come to appreciate the goodness of God. It's not only his main attribute, but a foundational truth that every Christian should embrace. Every day of my life is filled with goodness, regardless of the circumstances encompassing me, regardless of my sin, regardless of my shortcomings as a husband, regardless of my health, regardless of my financial situation, regardless of, of loss and pain we all experience. Every day of my life is filled with goodness. And I'm a big fan of Psalms 46, where the psalmist conveys absolute trust by saying, God is our refuge and strength, a present help in times of trouble. Therefore, I don't need to fear, though the earth give way. And over his lifetime, David fostered an immense amount of confidence in God. In his commentary on Psalms 46, Charles Spurgeon, known respectfully over the years as the Prince of Preachers, says that God is good not because he causes things that seem or feel good to happen in our lives, but because in the midst of the storm, God comes closer to us than the storm could ever be. This is why we can say with absolute confidence, God is good. Do you believe it? Do you believe that God is good? And I'm more than happy to keep on shouting, God is good, until you hear it and you process it. That's why we as God's children who attend the Castle, attend the Castle Hill Seventh-day Adventist Church can say without reservation, no matter how bad the storm is, no matter how much pain we experience, no matter how different the outcome is from what we've prayed for, God is good. And we need to remember, we must never forget that in the hardest moments of life, God comes close to us. He doesn't change. He doesn't falter. 
His Son Jesus never quits and the Holy Spirit never leaves us and lets go of us. I can't wait for when we can come back together as God's children to worship together and worship God's greatness, his, good, his goodness, his mercy, his love and compassion. God is in the business of doing good things. And as we live in isolation, we need to be gently, gently reminded that God's investment in goodness can grow in our lives. I hope you believe it. I hope you remember that God just loves us so much and he offers us his goodness every day. The psalmist once wrote and said, taste and see that the Lord is good. To close, I want to share with you a, a short story. A missionary by the name of Christine Tingling once vis visited a leper colony in Fuchao, China, where she heard of an old man who had showed up one day asking for a room so he could die. One day, the Chinese pastor dropped by and shared the gospel message with this old man, the leper, who was dying. And when the pastor asked him if he wanted to become a Christian, the leper said, No, I believe that Jesus gave himself to me, but I have nothing good to give in return. I can't give Jesus a gift. The pastor said, But he wants you to accept the gift of salvation. It took a while for the old man to comprehend the gospel message that God in his goodness doesn't expect anything in return. The old man would say, how could Jesus want an ill-smelling, rotten old leper like me? But finally, one day he believed and received Jesus as his saviour and the old man quickly learned about the love of God and started to share his love for God with others until he could no longer walk or see. And as he lay dying in a room, his one regret was that he'd done so little for the Lord. He'd learnt about the gospel message late in life when he was ravaged with leprosy from head to toe. And lying on his deathbed, he asked the following question to the pastor. When I reach my father's house in heaven, will Jesus blame me for not getting any more? Will Jesus remember me as a rotten old leper who was only able to share his faith with 14 people? The pastor needed clarification from the leper. Are you saying, the pastor asked, that you shared your faith with 14 lepers? Yes, said the old man. They all one by one, gave, the life, gave their lives to Jesus and we made a pact that when we made it to heaven that the four of us would stand in front of Jesus and thank him for his love and his goodness. On the resurrection day, said Christine Tingling, in recounting the story, she said this, from the graveside outside Fuchao will rise this invaluable child of God who in the days of his life was a leper and an outcast. 
He, was, he will have his own place in the blessed company of the one who said these words in Revelation 21.4. And you know these words. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the order of all things has passed away. The old leper was invaluable to God. Invaluable. You're invaluable to God the way you are. And all he wants you to do is to accept him, to call him, invite him into your heart today. And when you do, you will experience the goodness, the extravagance of God. You're invaluable. Dear Heavenly Father, this morning we're so grateful for your love and your care, for your goodness, your extravagance and the joy that you give us. Thank you for a God, for being a God who calls us to be holy. For a God who sets us apart to do your work and your bidding here on earth. Thank you for being a God who offers us peace. May we be a people of peace when we write things, when we say things, when we speak to people. And may we understand your goodness. May we understand that we're invaluable to a great, loving, serving God who sent his Son to die for every one of us. Bless us, we pray, and keep us safe. And thank you for the worship today, for church, and, be, being able, and for being able to make contact with so many people. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.